Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is April 19th, 2022, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is She Blinded Me with Science Communication. And our guest skeptic is Sarah Mojerod. She is a lecturer in advanced, not basic, advanced writing at USC. Welcome to the SGEM, Sarah. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to meet you in person, in real life. I mean, I am a big fan of your Twitter feed. Some of your posts on advice on science communication, they're really good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, here I was planning a trip to L.A. to La La Land for the MRAP One conference, the one conference to rule them all. And I thought to myself, hey, isn't Sarah in L.A.? Maybe she would come on the SGEM as a special guest. And I must admit, I was a little nervous. I didn't want to be that person who just slid into somebody's DMs. No, it was great. I can't remember the last time I've done an in-person podcast like this, and it's beautiful weather outside. So Yeah, we are sitting outside, so you may hear some ambiance. Um, we, we do not have our masks on, but we are physically distancing because we've got two separate microphones. And I know that your country just removed a mask mandate for planes. I, I don't talk politics on this show, but I was happy to get on Air Canada, and all the mask mandates are in place, and I wore my mask the whole way down and it was no big deal at all. But then I arrived. Yeah. And things are different down here. Way different story. (laughs) But we're not here to talk about that. So we're sitting at the lovely, lovely Luskin Conference Center, hanging out. It's, I think, a really good example of how Twitter can be a great way for meeting new friends. So let's make some friends. Please tell the SGMers a little bit about yourself, whatever you think would set the table or frame this conversation. Okay. Um, so my name is Sarah Modrod and really happy to be here today. I am currently a lecturer at USC where I teach two courses, Advanced Writing for Engineers and Social Media for Scientists and Engineers. The second course on social media, I originally started at Caltech back in 2016 and that course was such a hit that I was recruited by USC and That's when I started working there in about 2017. And I had two faculty appointments in the School of Engineering and the School of Medicine. I love watching people in in real life now. I mean, I've spent so much time over the last two years watching people's facial expressions of their eyes only. And, and so I was watching your eyes while you were talking about that. And <laughs> you rolled your eyes up and you thought back, I'm talking BCE before COVID era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really strange, isn't it? So when I reached out to you, I said, okay, Sarah, you do all these lectures, you're leading this advanced writing course for engineers. What do you want to talk about? Science communication, uh, Twitter, online professionalism, whatever you want. Well, you know, I was hoping that you would repurpose the video that you sent me. It was a YouTube video, and I'll include that in the show notes. And this was like five tips, five tips for science communication using social media. Did you know my favorite number was five? No, I had no idea. (laughs) Well, the SGM listeners know, because I can count to it on one hand. My second favorite number, by the way, 11. 
from this is Spinal Tap. But anyways, uh, as a primer for this SGEM Extra podcast, people can go and, and watch your YouTube video. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's not very long. It's like three, four minutes. And it's tips for students who are interested in science communication. Okay, here are the five tips for science communication using social media from Sarah. First tip, be yourself. Yes, I think it's very important to be authentic and be yourself because if you are trying to put on a persona or not represent yourself authentically, after a while, it just falls apart. So you're saying I can't pull off a bow tie and be Bill Nye the science guy? No, it might work for a little bit, but eventually you will either look at it as a chore and it'll lose its fun or it'll just not end up working out well. Well, I think that's such an important piece of advice. Authenticity. It really resonates with people. One of the best compliments I got recently was from a wonderful dental student. Her name's Ellie. Shout out to Ellie. She's at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. And we met at an interprofessional education event last week. And she said, you know what? It was so great to meet someone in real life who was so much like their Twitter feed. Because what you see is what you get with me. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I'm a huge advocate for evidence-based medicine. I love Star Trek, the original series the most. I have a dog named Loki who's living up to her name. I upset other physicians like neurologists when I start talking about the evidence for thrombolytics and stroke. And I think 80s, it's the best era for music and movies. And I've been known to play Bat Dog on YouTube. (laughs) So if people follow you, Sarah, what do you think your feed says about you? Who's the... Who's the real Sarah? Well, that's really difficult to answer. I think that people will see a mix of personal and professional. And the personal component is something that I've really developed over the last couple years in the pandemic. I think prior to that, my feed was more on the professional side. And that was really a reflection of what I was doing, where my growth growth was coming from. And through the pandemic, I think it's been really important that people show the world different sides of themselves. Since we've all been going through this together, I really made an effort to be authentic and share a different side of myself. Well, when I started on social media, I I kept it very sort of about the science and stuff. And as it's progressed, it's just more me. I mean, this is who I am. And if you don't mind, I'll tell you what I think of Sarah. First of all, you're an amazing communicator, and I wouldn't have you on the show if you weren't. Thank you. But you also got a new bicycle, and it has a cute little bell with an ice cream cone on it. And I saw you uh, on a a post recently. It looked like you were riding out by the beach. Yep. See, and it's those connections, I think, that people have. And you just finished a one-month painting experience of some kind. Yeah, I took up watercolor painting randomly I have no experience whatsoever so I'm sure you've seen some of them are not so great and well I don't know if this is a good segue into point number two because that's don't be afraid to fail yeah (laughs) you know like try something that you maybe not so good at so tell me why you think this is an important tip for science communication don't be afraid to fail I think because people are just so afraid to fail and experiment that it holds them back from trying anything new to a point where we need more science communicators. We need more people who are passionate about 
getting their message out there to the world, but people are almost crippled by it. I fail all the time publicly, and I, I, I want people to see that so that they're not well, afraid. Well, you don't look like a failure. You're holding it together. <laughs> no, but it's how you got here, right? right it's, exactly. It's part of who you are are all the little missteps and the trips and the falling down and those types of things. And Vince Lombardi said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. And so trying something new like painting and stuff. I remember one of the best received presentations. I didn't know if it was going to be a great presentation, but one of the best received presentations was about my many failures. I just did a whole lecture. I failure and my personal experience and the joke was that the first grade was the longest two years of my life because I had to repeat grade one and you know when I was younger I carried that oh just mm-hmm. let it scab Ken but I was you know like the kid that was held back and that really that failure drove me to do other things um, I failed to get into medical school the first time I applied I had to apply twice to get into medical school I couldn't complete my orthopedic residency and I felt really guilty about that and I felt like a failure and that I'd let people down and I was inadequate in some way and I mean there's so many other things that quote failed during my career and it it caused a lot of pain and hardship but you know what it made me think of Star Trek 5 and Captain Kirk like most things make me think of Star Trek it was Star Trek 5 and Kirk said the pain and guilt oh I gotta I gotta do this as I gotta do this as Kirk The pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. The the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain to be taken away. I need my pain. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I could have quoted... um, Maya Agalu, who probably said it a little less dramatically when she said, without defeats, how do you really know who the hell you are if you've never had to stand up to something, to get up, to be knocked down, and to get up again? Life can walk over you wearing football cleats, but each time you get up, you're bigger, taller, finer, more beautiful, more kind, more understanding, and more loving. Each time you get up, you're more inclusive. More people can stand under your umbrella. And that's what I've learned over my sort of falling down. So I love the advice of not being afraid to fail. Thank you. Yeah, and I think in the age of social media, it's important. That lesson is very important as well because there are so many different medias in which you can communicate your science. And you will fail. Exactly. You know, I hope not to be failing as often and making the same mistakes, but you will take missteps and you will post things that, uh, you know, and okay, and just own them. Own them, yeah, and apologize quickly. Uh, I always try to teach residents, it's not the mistakes you make, it's how you responded to the mistakes. What did you do about the mistake? Did you internalize it? Did you correct it? What, how did you interpret it and move forward from that mistake? I think that's more important than the mistake. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to number three, and this is find a mentor. Yes, I think that everybody needs a mentor and a cheerleader who will be there for you when you do fail and um, who will tell you it's okay to fail, get back up, try something new, try something a little bit different this time. I have been very grateful to have a great mentor. We started working together at Caltech 
and that's where we co-created the course Social Media for Scientists. I had never taught in my life, and so the idea of standing up in front of a group of undergrads and graduate students to teach. Oh, you're getting back to number two, right? You're getting, you know, be yeah. okay to fail, right? To get up in front of a group of people, that's one of the most stressful things to do, isn't it? Yeah. And you did it Yeah. because of a mentor. I did. That gave you that space and that safe space to get up there and would be there to catch you and help you and support you and nudge you along in case you did fall off that stage. Exactly, yeah. And bless those students, they were, <laughs> they were such good sports. <laughs> Yeah, do you have any do you have any specific uh, memories from uh, when you got up there the first time? Absolutely. Um, the first lecture I gave, it was supposed to be for 50 minutes. I did it in 20 minutes, probably at a whisper. <laughs> and I there were just all these confused faces and I never wanted to teach again, but I just kept, You got up? Yeah. You got up. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you did. Thank Cause you. Cuz you are making a difference. I mean, I see it in your interactions on Twitter. I really do. Uh, I've, I've had many mentors over the years, maybe not necessarily in science communication, but, uh, you know, mentors over the years and amazing people like Dr. Kirsty Chalen out of the UK, who's doing this great thing with the SGEM called Paper in a Picture. Uh, Andrew Worster, he's the one who taught me evidence-based medicine. Dara Cass, Dr. Dara Cass, she showed me how to be an advocate. Michelle Johnson, oh, Dr. Johnson, she inspires me to be a better writer and you teach science writing. She writes the most amazing tweets, and she does these narratives when you go see her in conference. It's, it's just amazing. And then, of course, Dr. Rick Bucata, who showed me how to be a great educator. And then there's my BFF, Chris Carpenter, who demonstrated to me how to be a better pr Listen, it's starting to sound, maybe it's because I'm in LA, it's starting to sound like an Academy Award <laughs> acceptance speech. I'd like to thank my mom, my dad, my first grade teacher, all that kind of stuff. So no more acceptance speech. You've told us who your mentors are. Are there any other mentors you want to give a shout out to, though? Um, so let's see, there's Mark Davis and also... But who is Mark Davis? This is the original one. Yes. Okay. And so he is a professor at Caltech in chemical engineering. Chem engineering, okay. And our partnership worked well because he really understood the science perspective. He is um, very accomplished in his field and has had to communicate science to all different types of audiences. So I understood his perspective and that collaboration was just very meaningful. So he, he has been very, very supportive of my career in science communication. Even though he's not on any social media, I, I've really <laughs> tried to push him over the years, but he won't budge. <laughs> is, there any, uh, is there any women in STEM or something like that that yeah. you uh, look to for advice, help, support? Definitely. My colleague, Gigi Ragusa at USC, she's in my department, um, has just been a wonderful person to work with, and she is always advocating on behalf of other people. And so I'm very grateful for her support. Number four. Number four. What do you want to say? This is your other tip. Yes. So if you're going to be a science communicator, you're going to be using social media, you're going to be online, what do you want to say? Exactly. So I think that it's, it's really important to figure out that messaging, know what your key takeaway is, and experiment with it. Experiment it with on different mediums. So maybe try making a TikTok video, see if that lands. 
do a tutorial, a thread that explains the science. Try different things and um, see how your message comes across. I think it's really important. Yeah, so what's, what's your message? Reflect on that before you start putting stuff out there. What is the message you're trying to get out there? What's the narrative? People respond to stories, and do you have a, do you have a specific goal in mind? Mm-hmm. My goal with the SGEM, the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine, is to provide a structured critical appraisal of a recent publication. And I try to probe that publication for its validity. And ultimately, I, I'm trying to cut that knowledge translation window down from over 10 years to less than one year with mm-hmm. the power of social media. So patients get the best care based on the best evidence. So Sarah, what do you want to say? What do I want to say? I'll probably repeat this again, but experiment, use social media to communicate science and inspire other people. It's a great medium to be sharing your thoughts All right, so this gets us to number five. How do you want to say it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the three things that I write on most of my students' papers and then also when I'm doing um, consulting is what do you want to say, how do you want to say it, and why should people care? So how do you want to say it really goes back to the point about experimenting with all of these different mediums. So do you prefer short form? Um, Can you get your ideas into a single tweet? Or are you more of a blogger? Um, Or do you do podcasts maybe? (laughs) And so figuring out how you want to say it is really important in this whole picture as well, I think. Well, what you see is what you get when you come to the SGEM. Um, I want to make critical appraisal, clinical epidemiology, biostatistics. I want to make it fun. I want to make it engaging. I want to make it exciting so people feel what I'm feeling when I'm going through this and learning and discovering. I try to do it with 80s music, and this gets back to the point about failing. I can't sing, and everybody knows that, and yet week after week I try to sing the intro and fail. And that's part of the charm, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to create memes, do Twitter polls. Uh, there's a keener contest to explain that. A keener is somebody who sits at the front of the ca- classroom and tries to answer all the questions. South of the border, I think you call it a gunner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's that trivia question just to engage people, many other things. And as Marshall McLuhan said, anyone who tries to make a distinction between education and entertainment doesn't know the first thing about either so i do want to give a shout out to uh, ross fisher he's got this great educational platform called p cubed and a lot of what i learned about how to be a better presenter and that's what i'm doing here in la i'm going to be giving a talk on tpa and stroke a lot of the slide design and a lot of the ideas and stuff um, came from my good friend ross so everybody's going to have their own style right for science communication sarah What's your style? What's my style? Oh, gosh. I prefer to inspire other people to communicate their science. I see myself as a cheerleader. You're a cheerleader? Yes. And you cheer them on and you want them on the stage? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and are, you, are you the person that would get into the elevator and do the elevator pitch? I can do that. Um, but more or less, I think that within science communication, there are many different perspectives on this. So there are people who have background like me and maybe are in communications and um, 
they prefer to be the ones who are communicating the science. Whereas my perspective is, let's teach the experts, let's teach the folks in STEM and medicine how to be better communicators. Oh, they're not usually good communicators, are they? No, and, and why should they be? Because they've spent most of their adult life and formative years learning the topic that they're experts at. They didn't learn how to be expert communicators like you. Exactly. Right, and so you gotta give them some tools you know, just because you're great at one thing doesn't mean you're great at another thing. And science communications is a skill, right? It's it a skill that needs to be learned, developed, and you've got to exercise it to be good at it, right? And practice really well, right? It's not just practice for practice sake. You've got to practice doing it well over and over again. It just doesn't happen. Exactly. Well, there are many different ways to do science communication. I really like the way Melanie from Thinking is Power does her SciComm. She has a great educational approach and posts some really useful tools on critical thinking, like the FLOATER acronym. And I've also learned from people like Brian Goldman to be more kind online. It follows my Spinoza philosophy of not ridiculing or bewailing or scorning people on Twitter but rather trying to understand them. And I know sometimes I get called out for it, like, because they don't think I'm being sincere, but this is actually who I am. Like mm -hmm. I, and, and tone can be hard on Twitter yeah. when I say, well, I really respect, or yes, I can appreciate your, your position on this or your opinion, and, but I mean it genuinely, right? But I understand that tone can be um, hard on Twitter. Well, this is clearly, I mean, this is a five, a list of five, mm -hmm. and I appreciate you putting it together in five. It's not an exhaustive list of tips for science communication. Sarah, is there anything else that you want to mention before we talk about some of the <gasps> dangers of putting yourself out there as a science communicator? Absolutely. So I think that if you're just getting started in SciComm, make sure that you test your messaging with different audiences. And it doesn't necessarily have to be online. It can be with your kids. It can be with your spouse, your colleagues. Testing it with different audiences will help you hone those skills and become a better communicator. I think this is something that people don't necessarily appreciate. Um, and it's just repetition, figuring out what works, figuring out why someone resonates with your message is an important step to becoming a better communicator. Um, so I just, like I said, I try and be a cheerleader for people. That's my advice. Well, let's move on to some of the dangers of science communication. I'll start with saying I've seen a lot of women mansplained on Twitter. And for those who don't know what mansplaining is, it's a pejorative term, meaning to comment or explain something to a woman in a condescending, overconfident way, and often inaccurate or oversimplified manner. It is often a male layperson trying to explain to a woman who's an expert in the field of which they are being mansplained. So there are lots of examples. Uh, I can think of Dr. Jennifer Gunter, who uh, is an expert in gynecology, Dr. Megan Rainey on the science of gun safety, Dr. Michelle Cohen on gender equity in the House of Medicine. Sarah, I'm pretty sure you've probably been mansplained. Yeah, a, a few times over the years. <laughs> it's amazing how common that... Um, that experience is for women. It's, it's horrible, but it's, uh, it's also very disturbing. Um, speaking of disturbing, there was a recent article published in Science that I shared with you, mm -hmm. uh, and it's about scientists who've spoken out during this global pandemic and have been threatened 
the title of the article was In the Line of Fire. I'll put a link in the show notes. It talks about how COVID has increased the harassment of scientists who speak publicly. And this can put a real chill on things. They did a survey, and their survey reported that more than one-third of COVID researchers had reported harassment. Yeah, unfortunately, this has been an ongoing trend even before we had the pandemic. The pandemic only exacerbated things. Now we're spending so much more time on social media and people are angry. They want the pandemic they want the pandemic to be over. They- oh, so do I. Okay. Yeah, just just to be clear. <laughs> I think all of us, nobody's going, you know what? This has been pretty fun. I think we should like, you know, make it last a few more years. No, I don't exactly. think people are doing that. No. No. They're not. You know, so we have common ground. Yeah. But, absolutely. But certainly there is a lot of frustration. And some of that frustration has been directed towards scientists. And I've seen, you know, some of our public health officials. Boy, what a tough job to be a public health official in the middle of a, you know, one in a hundred year global pandemic and maybe not have the tools. Maybe they could have gotten a consultation uh, from you on how to be a better science communicator because I see some of the, I don't want to say failure or mistakes, but the difficulties and challenges they had was how do you take this complex social thing that's happening and communicate that effectively to a broad audience? I think some of the early failures and arguably some of the ongoing failures with science communicators have been describing things using words that in absolutes and certainties, and yet we're in very uncertain times. And so that decreases the public's trust in science. And the reason why that's the case is because they see politicians flip-flopping on issues. And when you're saying, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, we're over this, we're not, that's when um, people start to distrust the science, I think. Yeah, I think one of the things that would have helped is to have been more transparent and project more of the uncertainty Uh, It was called novel coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2 because it was novel. And so we didn't know much about it. And so rather than, you know, using a lot of hyperbole or putting dates and just saying this is our this is the best information we have at the time. And we may change in the future as new information becomes available, because once you lose that trust, it's really, really hard to get it back, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just sitting here nodding my head like, yes, yes, (laughs) I agree with you 100%. Well, are there any other dangers you want to talk about putting yourself online, out there, public speaking, social media, science communicator? Yeah, I think if you are communicating science, it's important to understand the risks that are associated with this. We've so far talked a little bit about online harassment, and unfortunately, I think you and I both know a handful of people or more who have experienced online harassment specifically, and I myself have as well. And I think that if Anybody is considering communicating science for the first time, especially if it's around controversial topics, then a good place to start is to conduct an online audit where you see what information is available about you, um, such as phone numbers, home address, things like that, and getting that information scrubbed. It might seem a little extreme, but it's better to be overly cautious than have to worry about these things after the fact. 
Absolutely, yeah. Better bit, be a bit more proactive as well. And, and we, we talked about being authentic and stuff like that. But you can also be vulnerable. And vulnerability is good, right? But you don't want to be vulnerable to online harassment. Exactly. There's a distinction to be made there. All right, well, since I have an expert of science communication on the SGEM, I'm going to take advantage of this situation and say, what are your thoughts about blocking people on Twitter? Because I, I see a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I block like that or you know, I never block and everything in between. Where does Sarah, where are you on that spectrum of blocking? Um, my tolerance is pretty low now, so I'm more inclined to block to block people than I used to be. I think a statement that I've said over and over again to various people who deal with online harassment is you cannot rationalize with irrational people. And so whether it be blocking or muting, knowing when to exit those conversations is going to be very important to protecting your sanity and in some cases, your safety. Your safety, yeah. So setting boundaries. And, yep. and we set boundaries in real life, but we also need to be setting some boundaries when we're online because that can make you vulnerable as well well any final thoughts to wrap this up on science communication so i think that we've hit on a lot of important topics here but i do want to end on a positive note and say that social media based psychom is a worthwhile endeavor and if you're thinking about going into it just understand the landscape a little bit before you enter the conversation and use social media as a tool in doing so, you can really minimize any sort of distractions with it. And finally, have fun. Yeah, I like that. You know, my, my, uh, my knowledge translation project is called The Skeptic's Guide. And sometimes that has a negative connotation, but I'm a positive skeptic. I, you know, I want to discover new things. I, I want to learn more things. I want to understand things. And I want to, I want to have positions that are based on the closest approximation of the quote-unquote truth as possible. So I, I find it very positive and exciting and not a negative term. And so I, I'm glad that you're trying to end things on a positive note because we were getting into the, you know, blocking and stuff like that. So let's, let's end there. So thanks very much for being a guest skeptic on the SGEM, on this extra one, helping people become a better science communicator on social media. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the SGM will be back next episode doing a structured critical appraisal on a recent publication, trying to cut that KT window down from over 10 years to less than one year using social media. So patients get the best care based on the best evidence. One last task, Sarah. Okay. I need you to read the SGM tagline in your best Southern California accent because you're a Southern California native so I really want you to channel that accent as best over the top this is the time where you can fail this is a safe space Sarah go for it put yourself out there yeah like for sure oh my god remember to be skeptical of anything you learn like even if you heard it on the skeptics guide to emergency medicine for sure she blinded me with science